Welcome back, everyone. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. Uh, coming live at the top of the hour, as we normally do, but everybody, because of my tardiness, showed up in the last minute. So getting everybody a chance to jump in, and I'll pass it first over to Spartan Grown. Welcome. Thanks, Jack. Um, I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, or you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. If you have any questions, I'm a organic grower here in Michigan at home. And then at work, I do it commercially synthetically, so I can answer questions on either arena. Happy to have you back. I just liked the show and clicked over to the live chat on YouTube. So I'll remind everybody who's already here with us, like Smot Poker and Real Red Hairs and Kate Armstrong and a few others, Cheddar Bob, Saturday Zotanji, welcome everybody. Uh, but next up on the panel, we've got Dr. MJ. Hello, everyone. It's Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am excited to be back for another show. Interested to see what's on tap for us today. And thanks to everybody for showing up. Thank you for coming back. And next up, Matthew Gates. Hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist. So if you're new joining us here in the audience, uh, put your questions about plant health and pests and how to deal with them in the comments and I'll try to answer them as much as possible and if we have any topics like that always good salient comment as tonight I was going to uh even before I was getting late to arriving have the show be a Q&A and go into the chat I think some of those episodes are my favorites I love uh reading the chat the next day I normally can't keep up with the live if I'm listening to the conversation but I think that it's nice to do a little mix of both so we're doing a little chat Q&A tonight after we finish the introductions like the American one who I normally keep for last but I just couldn't help myself no worries Jack great to see you I missed last week so I was itching to get in this week so um I'm glad we're all here uh this is the voice of the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Akeens on the IG most of you know how to find me and uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here and welcome everyone in chat. Happy to have you back. And I have just the grower and grower left. So I'll start with Aaron, the grower. What's up, Jack? Tao. That was a really sweet way to, I, I, I really want to steal that. This is the voice of Aaron, the grower. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm Aaron, the grower, ATG Acres on Instagram, YouTube and atgacres.com. And uh, really looking forward to tonight. Looking forward to it as well. I always love the uh, back and forth with the chat. So remember to tag uh, at Cheap Home Grow or at Jack Greenstock or any of the panel members that you see in the YouTube if you want to get their attention. We try and pick out the best questions that we can to talk about. And sometimes it can go on for half an hour. Other times it might just be a quick answer. So uh, last and certainly not least, Noah the Grower. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Grower on Instagram with two E's. You can find me there and see what I got going on or shoot me a direct message about anything and I'm sure to answer it. I've been growing for over 10 years. I've done almost every type there is. So happy to be here and happy to get into it, everyone. Happy to have you back. And tonight I'm actually going to be posting the Zoom link to our meeting. And if I recognize a name from the chat, I'll bring people up one at a time to either answer questions directly or just have you on. Come on, talk a little bit about your garden. Give us an update. Uh, and maybe something you're thinking about in the grow related space. So just uh, happy that everybody's back. I just got back from a friend's birthday, little get together. So I 
got caught in traffic here in California and I was sitting and waiting to come and join the crew and do something that I love uh, a lot more than sitting in traffic, like uh, puffing and, uh, you know, chilling with a great group of guys. Spartan Grown, I know normally you're token on something. Uh, if you got anything uh, set up there to medicate on tonight? Yeah, I've already been hitting the bong. I've got Bliss Bud, my number three pheno in there today. It's a mood enhancer. So that's uh, what I was needing today. Also, I've got uh, on deck some GG4. So that'll slow me. That'll do the opposite. <laughs> that'll, that'll put me to sleep. That's a nice combination. I definitely have been curious about the Bliss Bud. I know you've been talking about that project and how you're going to kind of, you know, take your favorite thing and kind of mix it in each generation, it seems like. And I'm just curious what the beginning terpene profile or aromatics and flavors that you're getting off of that uh, number three pheno. And if so, there's any other phenos. Uh, yeah, there's the, the final is actually they were right next to each other. It was the number, the number, well, not, not that. It was the number one and number three that were vying at the end. Number one had bag appeal. Number one had terps. Number three had the high I'm looking for. So I'm, I'm going to go on with the three. I still have the two right now, but I'll probably let it go. Um, but uh, number three is kind of lacking in the terp department. It's not really much to really you know write home to. But uh, the high is what I'm looking for. It's the, uh, that uplifting high. And that's really what I want to preserve more than anything in Bliss Bud is for it to be an uplifting high. So I can continue to work with it to, um, to get the terps, to get better terps. But uh, I'm going to try to keep an uplifting high. So I've already got a plan. Um, so this is obviously a, a female. And so what I want to do to, to bring the turp profile up a little bit on it is um, I have some seeds that old man Hermit Hash gifted me a, a while ago, years ago, two years ago. And it was um, DJ Short's Newberry. And um, in that, that's the same kind of a thing. It's a really good high that I'm looking for. It seems like it aligns with what I'm looking for. So if I get a, a mail out of that, I might uh, slam that into uh, Bliss. Um, that being said, I have some of Brandon's gear going right now. I've got two um, of his limelights going, and those are regular seeds, I believe. So if I get a mail out of that, you better you better believe I'm gonna at least save some pollen, and I might I might slap that to to Bliss too. Well, speaking of Brandon, because uh, I sent out the invitation a little bit late, he showed up a little bit after we got our introductions done, but that is definitely not uh, his fault. Like I said earlier, I kind of got the notice out to everybody a little bit late, so. Without further ado, Brandon Rust, welcome. Give us uh, the people a little shout out and let them know where they can find you. Sure, my name is Brandon Rust. If you guys aren't already familiar, you can find me on IG, and there uh, that link would be rust.brandon, and then you can find links to uh, my company, Bokashi Earthworks, and Black Label Organics, which is a 40-acre 40, uh, 40 farm that we have out here in Oklahoma. Good stuff. Uh, I'm definitely curious, Spartan. Um, what terps you're maybe looking for because it sounded like number three didn't have maybe just an abundance of any terps but with the bliss blood project limelight uh from what i've heard from brandon seems like it's going to be citrusy and got lots of like soapy funky chemically profiles and things in there as well so i'm curious if there's any direction that you're taking it or just picking for what you like the most no at this point because the ter the terpenes on it aren't um i don't want to say that they're like a, a trip that i don't like that's not the case it's just it's just weed you know to me it's just like it doesn't have a real pungent anything it's not strong so i need to introduce terpenes you know what i mean i'm not going to be picky at this point 
terpenes is what I need. And, uh, but I want to preserve the high. So honestly, it's, it's going to be the high that's going to direct me. And if I want to work it into bliss or not, um, because I'm not even giving a shit about terps as long as it tastes pretty good. There's, there's very few weed that I've had in my life that I thought was terrible as far as terps, as long as it was grown properly. Um, there are some out there, you know, like your cat pisses and, and, and those kinds of smells, obviously, well, it's obvious, but that turns me off. I'm not big into the stuff that actually smells like poop. I know some people do like that stuff. Not me. I like pleasant smells, so it's pretty easy. I just follow my nose. I like that for sure. Um, I definitely have enjoyed the high of some of the shitty smelling cannabis, like that actually smells like feces, but I don't like the flavor and don't like the aroma. Like when I bust open a bag, I am looking for, you know, something floral or, you know, citrusy or, you know, grapey. I don't know, whatever that I want something with flavor, even if it's like gasoline, like, or like a funk, I, I can go with funk, even like chemical, like as just like, I don't know, even dirty feet, like smells like those won't push me away as much as like shit, like something about actual shit smell because yeah. Shit often it, the flavor comes through in my experience with like a lot of stuff that was maybe grown with too much compost or the compost flavor is like on every single strain like they have a strawberry cut but it tastes like shit you know there's no strawberry noticeable in there and that's definitely a big drawback for me i do think it's like the the more rare terps or at least rare to me terps that tend to draw me to them like the mac was a strange i i really think if I had to guess, it's from the Colombian, and I don't, I don't know how to describe that flavor, but that flavor is like something that I like I a wet noodle, like a pasty e wet noodle. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like a starchy wet noodle. Um, that that limelight has the profiles are pretty are all real similar. I had an, one outlier in there that was like Jack Terps that didn't come through on anything else. All, all the rest were kind of like a green um, Jolly Rancher. And then there were some that were like green Jolly Rancher and cereal milk or like uh, citrus and cereal milk. Nice. Those ones are real good. You'll like that, that stuff. Really yeah. fire. I was curious because we have a question from the chat from Keystone Cops who says, um, Cheap Home Grow what do breeders on the panel expect from testers? What are common testing faux pas? And I, I guess I'll pass it first to Brandon. Well, you, usually if someone's asking for testers, it's me, they are usually, um, well, we'd like to, you know, have them pop it as soon as possible if we're gonna give you guys free seeds. Um, that, and then just kind of do keep us updated on the progress, how things go, how your what your like cultivation style is. Cause when, when we're looking at testers, the reason I give testers out is because my style varies from the way other people are going to cultivate. Right. So sour diesel tangy, he did some testing, right? He has, he uses fertigation salts. He does a completely different type of methodology than I use. So, um, if you give it to a wider variety of people that have a different style, you can see how your how that um, that variety, you know, holds up in different environments in different systems. <laughs> but you know, just really keeping uh, uh, keeping us updated on the progress, even if it's just like once a month or something, you know. I was going to say, or even just in flower, a lot of people can't really distinguish much in veg. I know some breeders do like 
to see the plant morphology and the leaf structure and the number of leaves, uh, whatever. Most breeders, from my experience, are only going to repost your like frosty bud shots. <laughs> and like they're not going to be as excited about like, oh, look, that, you know, maybe they'll be excited when they see the seeds popping or like a high germination, like, oh, I sent out a bunch of velvet punch F2s and I got a lot of people that gave me 100% germination. They popped all 10 and got 10 out of 10 or pop five, got five out of five. So that was exciting as a, you know, the person who made the seeds sharing them, getting a good germination rate was really cool. So sharing that germ rate, like Brandon said, popping them as soon as you have space available. If you, in my case, you asked to be a tester, if you got seeds from me or um, in like the case of veterans on veterans day, I, I've reached out and said, Hey, any veterans who want free seeds, I've given these to testers. They've seemed to work out. They've worked out in my garden. So if you want some, I'll send them to you. But aside from the veterans, I basically, I wrote a little letter, <laughs> a one page note of what I expected of my testers. And um, I think it basically just asked for pictures, um, mainly in flower, uh, pop them when they're available. Like one guy, I'll never send him seeds again. I have F3s ready. I've seen him pop at least 15 different packs of different seeds since I sent him testers. Never dropped a single one of my seeds. It's like, you're cut out. <laughs> like, I don't care even if you grow them at this point anymore. It's just like, you have missed the entire cycle. I'm already on F3 now. If they were to grow the F2, it's like, <laughs> I've gotten a lot of information on it. At this point, it, it's welcome feedback. I mean, you're welcome to grow them. Whoever out there has them and hasn't grown them yet. Um, but the active testing process should be as quick as possible if you're trying to give the breeder feedback because they, in my case, I paid to send out every single pack. So no one even spent a single penny on shipping, let alone the seeds. And um, over 700 seeds or 70, 10 packs, that adds up. So it's nice when like Spartan Grown posted four different phenotypes. He posted video updates and he talked through, oh, this one smells like this. These three are all the same height. And then here's this one rare standout or like the American one, he posted a bunch of pictures and videos and said, look at this one, it's got zigzag leaves and all the other ones have regular leaves. And most of them smell like this, but I've got this watermelon fino and allegedly hypothetically may have even sent a sample for uh, old Jack Greenstock to try out and see what that watermelon fino is all about. So I think there's a lot of good things testers can do. The faux pas I would say are just not popping them at all um, and disappearing. Like some people will literally just like delete their account, <laughs> drop off the face of the earth and like, I have their names and addresses and a lot of these people, their accounts are literally just gone. So it's like, well, if I ever have a testing pool again, I'm not going to send it that name and address that disappeared off the face of the earth. Like who knows what they're doing with them. I get it. Everybody needs something, but um, I don't know. I think a lot of people take advantage of the testing process and I'm not going to be jaded about it because I knew that going in. A lot of breeders said like something like 90% of people don't actually pop free seeds. And I think there's something about if you give something, away for free, people just don't value it. Even as much as they spent five bucks on shipping or 10 bucks on shipping, they have more invested in that than if they got something completely for free. Yeah. That's an so unfortunate reality, isn't it? Anyways, keep um, going. The first time, yeah, that's, that is unfortunate reality. The first time I ever made beans, I realized that I'm a nobody, nobody knows me. This was like way back. And I just, I gave out as many seeds as people that would take them. And there was a lot, like that first batch was, I just gave them all out. And um, I just told them, grow them all out and tell me which ones you like the best. So as I said before, like everybody came back and they liked them all. So I didn't know which one to delete, but uh, circumstances deleted two of the mothers anyway. But um, so for that one, I didn't really care. I just wanted the people to grow them 
but now that I've made more seeds, when I send, so now when people will, anybody buys some seeds from me, I, I offer them testers. And my whole thing is I hate herms. So that's the first thing. I want them to run them out. If anything harms for any reason at all, let me know. And that's the first thing. Then, like Brandon was saying, you get people that grow in all different kinds of environments and all different kinds of uh, skill level. So I don't mind that either. I give my seeds to the first time growers, the experts, like anyone who, uh, who will test them out for me. And that's pretty much what I go by. And hopefully that, and they all get back to me with like something, you know, but I don't, I'm not very strict. I just want to make sure. And I want them to tell me if it was good, if they would run it again, if they wanted to save cuts and if they would like end up purchasing them. And, uh, and yeah, then all the other stuff, the flavors and all that, but like, even with Amy, there's a whole bunch of different flavors and stuff that comes out. But it appears that every single one is good. So um, I'm, I'm confident in, in actually receiving money for those because it's worth it. So that's where I'm at with the seeds and the testers and all that. Plus, back in like when I started out, there was there wasn't any there wasn't a lot. Not until like 1995 could we get from uh, Canada. And before that, it was all overseas pretty much. So I know what it feels like to not have any seeds. So yeah, I feel, uh, and I also I feel like yeah. real quick, I don't mean to, to, for you to date yourself, but how long you been growing? I didn't never want to answer that question, but yeah, the, the first, actually I popped a seed in like 1986, but I didn't start growing until like 1988. Damn. You get the OG parking spot from now on. Well, I'm only going to be 28 next year, so I don't know how all that works out. But <laughs> I used to have Benjamin Button with the cookies. <laughs> That's I used to have an instructor who would say uh, every year he got younger. <laughs> so he's all like, right. 38, I'll be 37 next year. Feels My good. best advice to everyone is don't get old because that's when you start falling apart. So just don't get old, stay young, and you'll be happy until, until rapture or death. We don't I'm think gonna, about no, that part. Look, yeah no no you're good at that part there's no you don't need to say anything else yeah (laughs) going back that is solid advice very good it is great great advice from Tao with the cookies over there but i looked at my tester sheet i just pulled it up because i have it on my computer i've started emailing it because just you know save trees or whatever actually my printer stopped working so i instead of printing out the paper to send to the tester i just email it to him now but um 90% 90% of what I wrote is actually not even requirements of the tester. It's like, here's the information about the mother. Here's the information about the father. Here are the crosses that I made. And, uh, you know, some of the profiles that I picked out. And I said, I estimated like a nine to 10 week window for flower. And, um, yeah, just a few other things. But, uh, I think a lot of breeders, I know, for example, like Ross and Jeff, a breeder I, I know and respect, uh, love his show. Have listened to it for a long time. Uh, the grow from your heart podcast. If you haven't checked it out, there's like 500 plus episodes. He's a great breeder. Uh, I read genetics. Some of the stuff he shared was he likes his testers to specifically grow out testers in one gallon pots straight up and down and flip them like veg them for a few weeks and flip them. He doesn't want um, you to veg it out for you know two months and do a, a topping or a scrog or whatever, like grow it how you would grow it. I actually suggested more to my testers grow it how you would grow it. I want to see it how it's going to look in your garden. Like Spartan grew it in his earth or um, city pickers and uh, some people grew it in hydroponics and some people uh, grew it, you know, in earth boxes and there's a whole bunch of different varieties. So it is nice to see people doing it the way that they want to do it as opposed to saying like, 
curl them yeah. all in one gallon pots. You know, I think that depends on what stage the breeder is at in their in their process of testing. I think if you're still in the process of doing strain hunts, then you would want growers to grow it all out very similarly, so you could pick the right phenos. Um, if you've already selected phenos and you're thinking like I'm ready to to bring this to market, then you want growers growing it in all sorts of different things. Um, and, and you know, I also think that a lot of testing quote unquote is really marketing I, I think that you know a lot of breeders or, or seed companies do these things primarily to gain exposure um and they're going to be more concerned with like how many times you're posting on instagram and doing stuff like that um so i would just suggest and somebody said in the chat like you know if if you really do all of this stuff it's a lot of work and smart said that he didn't want to just test seeds for sort of random people um, and I agree with that. You should make sure that it's something you're willing to do, because if, if it's a heavy ask, if they're asking for a lot of documentation or a lot of publication or, you know, changing the way that you normally grow or sticking to a strict um, protocol, uh, maybe you're totally down with doing that. But make sure you sort of know what you're getting yourself into and that you're willing to, to do this and that your goals are aligned. It, you know, I think at a certain level, you, you know, the marketing deals, you have to make sure that you're aware of that i definitely agree with that that aspect of uh of it being couched sometimes in mar more so marketing than data collection and i think we see a lot of things like yeah. that in general in uh in in really all disciplines but while that does happen i'd rather at least see people trying to test than the slew of breeders that have literally just taken one male or one reverse female hit every single cross that they've ever come across their favorite cut gorilla glue four cookies og cam down the line so they have oh here's my sunset and whatever crossed to every single strain that they have in their entire stable and then their those seeds are now for sale for 150 bucks a pack this month and then next month guess what they got a new mail crossed to all those other strains and there's yeah. no testing done and i would no, rather I, I see agree with that market and test than you know because there is marketing like what I've tested for three different breeders, Humboldt Seeds. They have a whole team HSO where you post in a hashtag. They have a certain amount of, they want like, I think one post a week through flower or something like that. And using this hashtag tagging these accounts. And then like uh, Subcool, you had to actually grow one of his strains and send a report in of his existing strains before you could even be selected as a tester for his new stuff. And so that was like a pre-qualification, which I actually thought was kind of an interesting uh, take on it, show that you're actually interested in my genetics first, and then I'll give you the new stuff. And the third person was Vegan Doja, who just sent me seeds, no expectation as a gift. And I consider myself a tester because he hasn't released them. But um, it's interesting in, in all those cases, the one who just sent them to me with like no obligation, I have had like the best experience in growing just because I could do it on my own terms and on my own time. But I know that's not the best thing for the breeder as far as like having made seeds and sort of wanting to see how they work out in everybody else's gardens. Keeper of the Strain says, uh, yeah, too many people are breeders nowadays. Who's a breeder? Who isn't? Well, before we get off the topic, I'd like to I'm not. make a comment on, on this because now I've got two comments. So just for the tester thing, I mean, you guys are making it really difficult, you know, people in gardens, you know, we're very phenotypically expressive, just like cannabis is. We're all fucking different. And so are breeders. So if you want to be a good tester, just from my own experience, I've tested for people and you just get a hold, just have a conversation with them. 
make sure you guys are on the same page. You're like, well, what's it going to be to be a tester? Do I want to be a tester with you? It's a simple question. And they're going to be impressed with you just for to being real with them. You know what I mean? And um, as far as the marketing stuff, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a wash in my eyes because yeah, you're testing them and yeah, you're posting those pictures up, but if they're giving you shit genetics, that's going to be for the world to see. So, you know, I think it's kind of a wash. I mean, I don't think any breeder, even the shitty breeders are going to want bad publicity like that. So they're going to want to try to put out product that they think is going to be decent. At least I would think. I think, I think so too, even, but I think they might pick like a Jack Greenstock who has, and I, my follower number is not a huge one, but let's say over 7,000 followers versus Joe Schmo, who's got 77 followers. They might choose me as a tester over somebody else because I have more exposure. And that's what it's, it's dangerous to trust people. I think also to some degree, kind of to your point, Spartan, right? If like to some degree, I mean, you don't know if these people, if you don't know the people who are testing it and if you're well known yourself, even like if, if somebody like mixes up your seeds with something else, I'm sure that a non-zero percent of the time this happens or some other sort of thing, or even, you know, like, I don't want to, I don't know of any examples of this really, but I suppose like, you know, there could even be some level of like malign intent sometimes, even if you feel cross or something weird happened or who knows, uh, it's just very, um, but- that's a good point but we also have to at least you have to at least agree that that would be a low percentage of the seed that a that a a breeder would put out so if you do like a hashtag search for that strain name and you look through 40 posts and one is shit and 39 are good you filter that shit i mean you got have a little i sure wish it was like that for so many other things um i i guess i feel i agree with you though that's the importance of like checking your sources and looking for other people's work uh, in that way. I think you make a really good point. It can have a drawback um, a major way because like self-reporting self-reporting is not very good for a lot of reasons and remote self-reporting is perhaps even worse. Well, and like, in a major way uh, from a scientific sample perspective this is builds my point more to it's not really a marketing advantage i think it's kind of a wash when you look at the drawback as opposed to the advantage i mean in the end if you have bad genetics they're gonna know and if you have good genetics they're gonna know they're gonna find out yeah but i'll say not this from I'm, from marketing uh, perspective they're gonna spend like I, I have on a few grows three to four months posting in a small grow nothing but so-and-so is genetic. So everybody who follows me is seeing, and if it does go well, that's thousands of people that see like, oh shit, this strain did really well. And it's a tester. Maybe it's going to be on the market. Maybe I'll be into it. So for the cost of production is pretty low relatively. I mean, like the actual testing, if you do everything right, take the time, it can be expensive, but um, you can produce them relatively low cost, even like a light, which is a in my opinion, a fairly expensive thing to manufacture. Mars Hydro sends them out left and right because they know as soon as a grower gets it in their garden, people are going to see it and they're going to tag them in those posts. And in Mars Hydro case, they actually like are really pushy. So they like make people post a bunch and like make them agree before they get this free light that they're going to do like X amount of posts per week in some cases. And even if they don't have that agreement, just people, they see us with trust. So like they see a science LED light in Spartan's garden, they're going to like that light more than some other light or HLG, the ones that you're actually buying and didn't win. People are going to be like, hey, he grows with that. I'll grow with that. A certain yeah. percentage of people are just going to exactly copy 
the people that they look up to and like. And yeah, respect. if they're successful with that light, then they'll want to they want to get that light. I'll just say that like you were saying, you don't want to or you might not want to send them to people with like only 30 followers. But if they're killing it, you could repost it on yours if you have a lot of followers, you know, so that's one thing. And yeah, I just think uh, you want to know if those inexperienced growers are going to mess stuff up because people will buy your seeds that are inexperienced growers. So I think that's a good thing to have, you know, not the best of the best trying to grow out your stuff. That's part of why I got picked by HSO. I had just set up. I had only done one grow in my current setup when they chose me to be a tester. And I found out later that they have like a not so ideal testing area for themselves where they set it up because they know a lot of new growers are going to be buying their gear. And even part of their testing team is like small growers and new growers to see how it'll work in a smaller environment or a less right. dialed in environment. And I'm actually happy like Velvet Punch never once hermed in my garden. If I was in-house breeding and only ever did testing at my own front, I would not know there's herm, even though that there's in the genetics chem and OG and cookies, I have suspicion in my thing. I wrote, Hey, these are testers. These are untested seeds. Look for herms. When you flip, be careful. I have not proven these to be stable. So I let everyone know that and three or four out of the 70 reported, they did get herms. And it was just in like a couple of phenos in some regards, but some people fold out like, um, Matthew mentioned earlier, I don't think it was nefarious because I'm good friends with the guy, but he had a big mistake in his garden where there was light leaks in one case that caused several phenos to herm in that room. And in some people admittedly like Canicleen Genetic, shout out to her. She had stuff in that same tent where my velvet punch herm and a few other things from other breeders that are released hermed, but hers didn't herm. So like in that case, it is good proof to the person who didn't have something go hermaphrodite in a stressful situation. That is a real good test, I think. And as anecdotal and self-reported as it is, I think sometimes these are great um, ways for us to get more information than we ever possibly could testing in-house. Unless you're like Brandon, who's got uh, I, I can give container. you guys a, a, a little information on a lot of, you know, even larger, uh, more reputable breeder stuff. When it comes down to it, the stuff that, um, like I pulled out tons of plants out of my current pheno hunt because they were her, uh, they had hermaphrodite flowers on them. You know, I there was stuff in there from all from all different types of people. You know what I mean? And it's and I'm not gonna be like I don't call call them out and I don't slight them either because the thing is, uh, you could have a thousand plants that don't herm and then have one that does you know and it could be that one plant that somebody got that, that and that person might just be like oh my god this you're a fucking terrible breeder and you don't know it you know and someone goes off because they got that one plant but you know the thing is i'm doing what i did i popped like 400 seeds and i pulled maybe like 10 or 11 herms out of all of the females that I had, which was maybe about like 200. So it's a relatively uh, small percentage and, you know. You know, that's a good point. It's easy to see like evolutionarily why the plant, I'm, I'm gonna use really poor terms here, but might want to keep that around in its genetics, so to speak, or why it might just still be remaining. It's because it's been so successful over the years. I mean, think about if you're a lone female, in a in a field and you know it's like getting that time what am i gonna do oh i got this in my back pocket i can produce pollen for myself so that's that's important i think evolutionarily it's funny you say that it really makes things easier doesn't it 
as cannabis yeah. growers, we grow almost exclusively females unless we're actually doing breeding on purpose. And even then some people are reversing females. And I just saw on the news here in San Diego that they use the term, it literally like made me almost fall out of my chair. They're like, is this um, something sexism? They called it agricultural sexism or like biological sexism, because according to this article on the news, they said you're talking about you are talking about so many the male plants. Yeah. And the pollen and right with people's allergies. Yeah. So they're saying because they're only growing males because the females like end up producing fruit and buds or whatever it is on all sorts of different things. The males are more convenient for them to grow a lot of places. So they're just growing a bunch of fucking male plants and those male plants are just dumping pollen and people's allergies are getting out of control. So I think that that is um, like a brilliant way to catch people's eyes, certainly by using that terminology. Um, but it's kind of true, right? In that, like, we do have preferences because certain, you know, those sort of, for plants that have that kind of, um, you know, predilection, um, you know, like a pine, you know, I, I remember uh, you've just reminded me that, like, uh, when I went to high school, there were a lot of pine trees on the property. Uh, and, um, you know, those, uh, those like great swaths of the, of, of pollen that are produced by the, the male flowers in particular would cause a lot of people to have issues. And, uh, also some people had fun, myself included, you know, sort of banging on the branches and causing these like large clouds that kind of rippled in the air. It's kind of pretty in a way, but, um, yeah. They called it biological sexism was the term. <laughs> So have you, have you ever thought, Matthew, uh, at a, I've just popped into my head just now, Handful. but a, from the IPM aspect of that, a lot of some of these pests, can, can they not feed on pollen? Well, I guess a lot of the predators can. Absolutely. In fact, that's how pollination started in a lot of cases and beetles and some neuropterans like, uh, you know, ancestors of what we would call like lace wings and that kind of a thing and ant lions and ants. Uh, there's even pollination by snails, believe it or not, and, and slugs. <laughs> so you told um, me about flies a while back that flies were yeah. one of the original pollinators. I'm flies surprised. are a massive source, even today, are a huge source of pollination for a lot of flowers. Slugs Bees and snails is... surprises me the most, though. They usually eat the fuck out of the plant. I can't believe pollinating <laughs> things. Well, I think it's sort of like a, a sort of um, like a like a byproduct of their movement in the mucus. I think is kind of like the mucus works like the hairs. I just posted on Instagram about hoverflies and uh, apparently um, bumblebees do this too. They're the, the hairs on their thorax literally uh, can like tell them, can orient to, to the charge on a flower. Very short distances, not their antennae or anything like this, but actually just the hairs because of the, the size of the, um, of the insect and how the hairs kind of react to like a, static electricity essentially i think if i remember correctly i have a, a good summer tip for any growers who uh may be a little irresponsible like myself and maybe haven't stored their things whether it's pollen or in this most recent case worm castings like you guys were just talking about things eating the pollen i had stored some pollen that i had planned to breed with and when i got back to it it was literally an ant infestation like they were feeding on it and like i think they were breeding within the fucking pollen i had it in like a glass pyrex with a little like vented top to allow some airflow and allow it to dry out and in that short amount of time these ants just infested like there was i think i made the colony larger by providing them this food source and then recently the same sort of thing happened because 
I didn't take the advice of a lot of people who get totes for their amendments and seal them. I just had, you know, my worm castings came in a plastic baggie or whatever, and it has a little seal zip top. Don't trust that fucking seal. Uh, put it in the tote because I just, I saw more ants in a little, I don't know, you know, few gallon bag of worm castings than I think I've ever seen in my entire life cumulatively. Like there were so many fucking ants in this bag. The whole top was just like a moving mass of ants. And they were so attracted to these worm castings. Like they've never been happier. Like the population exploded. I noticed it because they're actually like behind my paper towels in a cabinet and like paper towels were covered in ants. I'm like, ants aren't attracted to fucking paper towel. There's no reason for them to be on that. I started pulling out the paper towels. And when I went to grab the worm castings to plant some seedlings, ended up realizing, oh man, this is fucked. <laughs> so uh, be careful where you store your goodies, especially in the summertime. Uh, ants can be quite uh, problematic at getting into your supplies, whether it's pollen or worm castings in this case. We have another question I want to get to, but Spartan, I'm just curious if you have any tips. Do you ever deal with ants in your worm bin? Because once I started Googling like ants going after worm castings, I saw a lot of people that gave some advice on like how to avoid ants and maybe other things in the worm bin. I've never had any issues with ants uh, inside at all. Uh, outside, sometimes I, the only time I, I usually let, let them be, I let the nature just balance itself outside. But um, when they go in my garage, then they, no, then I bring out the cinnamon and I just fucking dump fucking cinnamon on them and they fucking hate it. And I laugh and I laugh and I laugh. But yeah, man, I just do, I just dump, and cinnamon is cheap, man. You can buy it in bulk at, sam's club if you want to i use I'll that just, with peppermint oil dude and... i'll fill that crack with the fucking cinnamon i don't care and they will not fucking i won't see them again i might have to use that around my freezer weirdly enough after we like got rid of the worm castings and like dealt with it the rest of my house i opened up my freezer and around the seal around the outside of the freezer not actually in the freezer there was like hundreds of ants in like a week it happened like three or four times and so like i cleaned it down I just, i'm curious matthew if you, if you have any thoughts on that because it was nothing like I'd ever seen before. And then we've got a question from Cheddar Bob way earlier that I'll get to after that. But dealing with the ants. Yeah. Like why do you think maybe they would be attracted to like a freezer or even like one area if there's not food, like just in mass? some ants, some ants are actually attracted to like, um, you know, we were just talking about the electrostatic um, sort of like detection, but um, you know, they can be um, magnetoreceptive too, even um some of them and it's kind of unclear to what degree because um there, there's a whole lot of research on that on all the various kinds of ants there are but some some really really pestiferous species uh i, I want to say yellow crazy ants is the common name for one of them i think the uh rat was it like raspberry something ant crazy some some of these names are pretty outrageous to be honest kind of funny but um uh, pharaoh ants was one of them i think anyways there's a lot of these really small ants that will get attracted to the heat and the um the electronics of um of, of certain devices um i think there's a pretty viral video of an ant colony actually establishing in somebody's like scanner printer um on the on the internet that you could find that sort of illustrates this point i think um so there there are a bunch of like things that can be attracted also just generally um when you get like external insects sometimes they're going for food or moisture or something like this but sometimes they're just looking for a place to be sheltered um or some sort of overwintering uh shelter when it's like autumnal like right now 
So like you get stink bugs that come in sometimes and even lady beetles. It was weird because it happened after my fridge broke, like something in the freezer stopped, like a fan stopped running. And then uh, I thought maybe there might have been antifreeze. I wonder because I know that some insects are particularly attracted to antifreeze and some of the, and some other like materials that might be um, maybe built with, uh, with refrigerators. Yeah, it was definitely a very precarious one. I've got a question from Cheddar Bob earlier who asks, Jack Greenstock, can you ask about extraction of saponins or saponins from horse chestnuts? How many needed for a small batch of suds and best extraction method? I personally don't know. Um, the ones that I'm most familiar with for saponins are the soap nuts, but has yeah, anybody say that? That's what I was to say. Into the horse chestnuts for saponins? Well, I would imagine it would. I would, I don't know, but if I was given this, you know, problem, I would dunk them in water and do like a tea. And, uh, the easiest thing is if you take one of them and you could get them into like a, a bottle or a mate, just put it in a Mason jar of water and, uh, throw it in there with the water and then shake that shit. And if you're not getting any suds action, keep soaking it. <laughs> um, that would be my first go-to, uh, up to about a 24 hour soak if you have to, but, um, that's just me guessing, shooting from the hip. I've never had, to, I've never heard of the, uh, a horse chestnut and using it for saponins. I would go to like, you know, my go-to soap nuts or aloe. Aloe's got saponins in it. My thought is um, maybe macerating or crushing or doing something else. If it doesn't, if that what Spartan just suggested didn't work for some reason, like if maybe water doesn't permeate the shell of the chestnut. Um, I don't know, but I'm curious if anybody else in the panel has thoughts on this one. Yeah, I think uh, there were a couple of answers in the chat that were essentially like this. And um, that's, I also don't know. And, but I would also assume that that, that would work to some, to some degree. Um, but I'd be curious because if you left it in there, I wonder if other parts of the, um, the fruit or the nut or whatever would um, like putrefy or ferment or like have some other effect that you wouldn't necessarily want to like, um, add to like a spray that's that's one of the reasons one of my points of contention with techniques like this is actually i love low-tech techniques where you don't have to worry about that but um that's just one complication that that i always wonder if people control for it or if there's any examples that people know of where you have to be really diligent or if you macerate it you have to like um uh, screen it out or you know get rid of the larger parts or something like this kind of reminds me of the heart or whatever yeah, exactly. Certain things carry certain toxins or whatever. So to be maybe more specific on what you were mentioning, like you could unintentionally run across something that maybe leads to a mold or a mildew because it sat in water before it gave its saponification effect. Is there, mm -hmm. I think yucca is another popular. They're saying that in chat. Isn't yucca? Is it? Yucca is. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. That's how you yeah. kill those fish. Yeah, exactly. You can kill the fish. Yeah. Don't be ducking your yucca water in the, in your uh, ground supply or whatever. Yeah. Please but, don't do that. Any rivers. Everyone. That's how the natives actually used to hunt in certain areas. They would like dump yucca in the river and then go catch all the dead fish at the bottom in like a net. So they wouldn't have to actually fish. Um, but I don't know. I think there's unintended repercussions in most people uh, in the U.S. I don't I think there's some water regulation laws that definitely go against and Dr. MJ in the past has even mentioned like pouring hydroponic water into your like yard, for example. There are some uh, re ramifications to that and there's better ways to go about dealing with the excess water or even yucca water in that case. 
Doc, um, yeah, I don't think you're going to kill any fish by putting yucca water in your yard, but um, I, I do agree that you should be careful with it, especially if you're growing with fish. Um, but yeah, yeah, I wanted to just chime in here since my name got, got brought up with the putting the, the nutrient water outside in the yard just to make sure everybody knows it's not usually a good idea. And if you do do that, you have to be really careful about it to not cause problems. Um, and, and it is technically a violation of the Clean Water Act in the United States. So it's always against the law. That's an important point to make. I, um, I knew that you had the technical like Clean Water Act. That's a good one to quote because then the people are like, I don't want to fuck with that. Like the EPA and like getting those regulations, a lot of like the legal cannabis in California that hasn't been able to happen is because of former people doing that. And, you know, Northern California, mostly I hate to point them out, but also just like preventing them from doing that in the future, because there's people that saw like, oh, the Salmon River has, you know, its population went down because all these illegal grows that were actually dumping like the plastic bottles, the nutrients, they were overfeeding and they were just yeah, just the destroying. leaching of the runoff from the fields can can do a number. It can cause algal blooms, um, choke out the life for a lot of the fish and other things in the river. So um, it, it is definitely important. The, the other side of that is, you know, that, that's pretty much true whenever you're using fertilizers on your yard. Um, it's not necessarily that our effluent water is like more dangerous than like the products that you buy to, to spray in through your hose on your grass. And you shouldn't spray that into any bodies of water either. Um, yeah, that, that, that runoff from agricultural fertilizing is one of the big issues that we face environmentally around the world. Just an example at the commercial uh, scene, at least here in Michigan, we're not yet to, we have a, an own separate tank. Like we have a tank buried outside that, uh, we have a, one sink with a drain that goes to that tank and then we fill that up and then have to get somebody to come pump it out when it fills up. So, and um, the, the locality has already sent letters out to all the, well, I assume all the grows that they said that, look, we'll know if you dump anything down your drains because we'll have to change, it'll show up in our filters <laughs> and then we'll just trace yep. it right back to you. So, you know, yep. they're not playing around. It's not something that you can be sneaky about. Oh, more than one illegal grow has gotten busted by them dumping nutrient water down the drain and then following the, the source of that contamination back if it's large enough scale. Um, the other side of that is, you know, you really need, if you're dumping nutrients in the drain, you, you need to know, what happens to the water that goes down the drain. If you're on a septic tank, it will be a disaster. Um, you can't flush nutrients if you are on a septic tank. If you're on a municipal sewer, the best plan is to call the municipal uh, water company and ask them for the best um, strategy for disposing hydroponic effluent. Um, you don't have to say like, I'm a closet cannabis grower or anything. There's other legitimate reasons to be ending up with hydroponic effluent. And they'll probably ask you how much you produce in a week. And if it's below a certain amount, they'll tell you to drain it, to dump it in the drain. Um, a lot of places, not every place. And it depends on how they treat their sewage. So these are things that, that if you're going to be doing it that way. Um, what I do, which is really the best thing to do, is to feed your runoff water to potted plants. Um, in the end, the nitrates and phosphates that, that we make for these fertilizers are going to be consumed by plants. 
That's the problem. And they have to be. It's going to be an algae bloom somewhere. Or it's going to be some other plants growing someplace else. Um, it, it, they're going to be processed by, by that. And, you know, a lot of potted plants love the water and will grow like crazy with that water. Um, so there are responsible ways to, to manage it, too. This is all such a good argument to me to grow organically and do not have runoff if you have if you if you can avoid it. Well, I think there's so I, I, I have to push back on that if you're just going to sort of say that as a drive by comment, because there are, are equal environmental issues for organic growing that I would argue are often harder to solve. Well, um, which is why I've specified, uh, you know, without permitting runoff, you know, that's the issue is allowing these these fertilizers to run into the ground. Yeah, it's also how they're sourced many times, though, like uh, bat guano, think, for example, is organic, but they have children mining it in, in mines that are dying from diseases exactly. because they're not wearing the mask because the mask isn't actually effective or good. And they're still doing it. And there has been wars fought over bird shit. And eutrophication you know, still happens, right? Like, it doesn't really matter. I just wanted to make um, one comment before we go into the organic versus synthetic, because I think it's a good conversation worth having. But the septic tank comment that Dr. MJ mentioned earlier, he didn't gloss over it. He mentioned that it could lead to disaster. I believe that can blow up. It literally explode. Like Is fertilizers in a contained wow. place um, can lead to explosion from my understanding and my knowledge. But I would seek clarification from Dr. MJ. But I do know that there's a number of reasons why it's dangerous and, and not a great idea. Yeah, um, I'm, I haven't, I don't know if you mean like actual combustion, uh, I could imagine a situation where maybe you could pop the top off or something, your septic tank, um, if it's getting, you know, too much algae growing in, in there, but that's going to be, um, you know, septic tanks re re depend on bacteria to help break down the, the sort of wastewater. Um, you have to be careful. And if you have a septic tank, you have to be careful with the number of things that, that you dump down the drain that would kill that bacteria. Um, the fertilizers, I, I think the issue is really that they will sort of create explosion of the kind of, of other things that you don't want. Yeah, they kill the, the necessary bacteria that produce the enzymes that break down your poo. Well, and just watching the giant explosion that happened, I think it was in India, but it was a nitrate was, fertilizer. Yep. Um, yeah. So, no, there's definitely ingredients. There's definitely the ingredients. I'm wondering about the the sort of what the spark is or what the combustion temperature is, but it might be pretty low. And yeah, you might have a situation where you could just. It might be drop a joint down. down. <laughs> or a guy who's, a who's smoking a cigarette yeah. while emptying his septic tank because yeah. a lot of people that work those jobs, I hate to say it, do smoke. And I've seen people smoke cigarettes while they're filling their gas tank. So you can't put it past people to always have the best logic in their head. One thing that I also wanted to bring up, uh, Smart Poker, I think said it on the Talking Buds podcast, which shout out to Talking Buds. Max Crimin Ruby is a listener. Smart Poker is going to be more, uh, you know, interlaced with that moving forward. But one comment he said on his most recent episode of that podcast was, and I'm not sure if it's right or wrong, but I'm just going to throw it out there and maybe Doc can give some clarity. He said that a lot of runoff water that home growers are going to be flushing down the toilet if that's the right thing to do to a municipal supply might have like as much nitrogen as your urine actually going down the toilet. So in some cases it depends on like how often and how much runoff you have, but yeah, it, it we, does. we have chemicals, people take pharmaceuticals, people drink alcohol, people take drugs and, and we're urinating and defecating things in there that they have to process at the treatment plants as well. So they do account for um, at least some amount of, you know, 
Yeah, it's the household like cleaning that. products that are like particularly noxious too that we dumped on the drains, like the toilet bowl cleaner and stuff like that. No, you're, I mean, municipal water treatment facilities need to filter out the nitrates. And before they release the water, um, they have they have to test it for to, to be below certain thresholds. So um, they absolutely deal with this thing. And yeah, there's a bunch of nitrates in everything else that goes in the sewage too. As you know, a good substitute for nitrogen fertilizer is like feces. Um, this is one of the things that, that wastewater treatment deals with um it's expensive it, it adds a cost so if you're dumping a bunch of nitrogen down the the toilet it's not that it's not going to be cleaned at the treatment facility it's that it it takes longer to clean and it becomes more expensive to clean um and that's why they have limits about it and you could potentially overwhelm the the sewage treatment facility's ability to clean if like too many people were dumping too many nitrates down the drain which could be the case in like a recently legalized state like they got yeah. a lot of new growers that are excited because oh hey home growing is legal everybody can grow r6 or r4 or whatever it is canada had that happen california had that happen i didn't see a run of water treatment plants getting like shut down because home growers dumping stuff down the uh, sewage treatment, but it could be an issue. And I think it's always just best to at least have the stuff in your mind and think of uh, the possible ramifications and, and the best way of going about dealing with it. Because as I've said many times in the past in the show, it's as much as we can good to be a positive role model for the community. Yeah. If there's a right way of doing it and a wrong way of doing it, let's try and take the right way. Let's take that right path. So when they have stuff like the MCMA trying to take away home growers' rights, they can't stand on a mountain of saying, look at all these home growers that are improperly disposing of their nutrients or right. starting fires or this or that, because they didn't properly go through uh, the safety precautions that any contractor would go through to set up any legal business or whatever it is, a uh, hobby at home, you know? Yep. Get yourself a couple philodendrons. They grow around your house. They'll add a lot of beautification to your condo, your apartment, your house, whatever. And they will suck up nutrient runoff like nobody's business. Uh, you can burn them if you give them too much, but they, they really do a great job in processing it. Uh, we have a bunch of plants and I haven't been growing for a while. My wife just this morning told me because I'm about to start a grow and I'm going to be documenting it. Um, but my wife was just asking me, she's like, I, I'm looking forward to getting water again. Um, because we treat that runoff water, like it's a resource around the house. I mean, all of our potted plants in, in well, some of them don't, and you do have to actually sort of get to know what different varieties, philodendrons, geraniums usually like it. Um, you know, succulents and stuff don't, don't, don't give this stuff to, or don't give too much of it to, to succulents and stuff. Actually, the the orchid did really well on the flowering runoff water um, and did a huge bloom this year for my wife. So um, experiment, get yourself some houseplants and feed it to them. And pretty soon, you, you, you know, you'll be sort of like my wife waiting for the next grow so you can get some more fertilizer water. I, uh, tip. I was gonna say for uh, the succulents, the best way I've had success is basically trying to kill them, like leave them the hell alone and they just tend to thrive. If I give them attention, they tend to not like it as much. I definitely people people over over love their uh, succulents to death. I just wanted to echo that this line of questioning about uh, eutrophication and, and, and nutrient runoff and all of this, um, you know, come came from a question about saponins. And I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, like, whatever you're using, um, you know, that kind of water could have all kinds of things in it. 
right? And uh, if you're extracting it with water or whatever, and they maybe think, oh, I'll just dump this, the rest of it out, or I'll, or I'll dump the, the seed husks and hulls out somewhere else. And like, you know, those compounds can have a negative effect, probably not going to like, depending on how much, to what scale you're doing this, I suppose, but like, you know, there are things that we don't consider all the time that we apply um, in, in those contexts, in this cultivation context. And I think like, you know, there, there are arthropods and other sorts of things that could be susceptible to damage um, through maybe like the careless disposal, even if you're using, even if you're growing in a, in a natural living soil or organic fashion, like um, the, the nutrients are nutrients, right? The organic matter is still organic matter. And there can, there can be a disruptive effect. I'm not going to say negative, positive, but definitely a disruptive effect. I have yeah, a different cheers. thing. That I, I, I think do. the takeaway from this is no matter how you grow, there are ways to be responsible and there are ways to be irresponsible. And it's on you to, to figure out the responsible way to do it. Um, and I, I don't think that there's sort of an easy way out of this. You can't just say like, oh, I grow organic or whatever and, and sort of opt out and be like, that means that it's, it's sustainable or responsible or any of these other things. It really requires to make these decisions and think about the, the impacts that we're sort of imposing on the world around us and, and how to limit them. No, and my point with the organics was just that it's so much easier. I, you know, there's no agency that needs to come collect a tank from my organic grow ever. You know, I hardly ever see water come out of the bottom of my pots. That's all. That does help. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's easier for new growers to have uh, excellent success with a media that doesn't require as much knowledge, though, as a living soil. I mean, there, there's just two sides to it. So it, it's, yeah. I, no, I still got to push back against right. those sort of blanket statements. Right. I think I absolutely think growing in cocoa is easier and has the potential to be more sustainable and more environmentally friendly. And that's why I grow in it. I see. I, I'm on I the other side of the fence. Of that. I, I uh, I think in your situation, it works because of your living situation. But I think if you fucking tell a beginner to grab a sip container, throw a fucking bag of soil in there, put your plant in there and just fucking water it when it needs it. That's pretty goddamn easy. So many people get that wrong, though. But I agree with you. I think people are different. But uh, it also might not be as fast. And Dr. MJ, a lot of his point is the short veg time of cocoa and the fast turnaround time makes him get more crops and more weight per square yeah. foot or meter or whatever per year and he's running lights and the lights are actually probably the most damaging thing to the environment so he wants to run them as short as possible as little as possible mm. and get as much as possible out of those absolutely we're growing indoors and the amount of time we have the lights running the, the sort of amount of energy we're drawing is a big is a big part of this um, and the degree of success that the growers especially new growers who are looking for instruction on how to grow and, and you know, if their crop ends up in failure, then all of that energy, all of that expense, all of that fertilizer, all of that, everything was for waste. Um, so we, those sides of it, how long you're growing, how much energy is consumed by the overall grow, not just the nutrients. And what are the, the you know, odds of success of this operation? I, I think those two things are, are really important. And, you know, once you have 20 years of experience, once you've been growing since 1988, um, you know, then you, you know how to manage these things and you could grow in probably any media. Um, but off the bat, I see a lot of growers that, that fail when they try different types of, of 
um, amended grouse, basically. I also see people fail with cocoa if they don't use cocoaforcannabis.com. And then I send them to cocoaforcannabis.com <laughs> and it fixes their shit. And I'm not even trying to shameless plug because literally I don't grow on cocoa anymore. I used to grow on cocoa. I had success with it. I liked it. I also like organic. I see the value in both. But um, I'm going to push back on that dog a little bit, probably because you see you see people failing at living soil coming to you for a rescue. So you have no, 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 no. I was talking about cocoa, Aaron. Yeah, no, he's talking about they're growing in cocoa. I'm I'm not talking about you, Jack. And thank you, Jack, just before we move on. But okay, go ahead. I'm I'm talking about people. um, The survivor bias, right? Planes that come back from war that that they examine they're examining the wrong details they're examining planes that survived not planes right. that crashed so they armor the wrong parts so i just i just mean you know maybe you see well, that, that uh, yeah i, I see, see growers from the I, walks. See, I, I see growers see, coming I through here synthetic the growers transfer to organic more often than anything but that's that's my survivor bias and that could be uh, a, yeah I, but i also would tend to agree with you. And my point would just be that that would be the direction of, of going. I think that growing with a high frequency fertigation media that allows you to take overwatering out of the equation, um, it, it allows you to sort of edge on that side. Um, you're not trying to walk a tightrope through the middle with the soil grow. And that, that's really sort of the issue is um, air to water ratio, water availability and nutrient availability. Um, it's just so much easier to control that in a, in a cocoa grow with HFF with high frequency fertigation. Um, you can do it. You can, you can absolutely sort of get the right ratios on all of that in other methods of growing. Um, Seems like there's less room for error. Just seems like there's less room for error with, with uh, meters though. Like I I don't even grow on this method anymore. And so many people that come to me with problems, I can ask them five questions. What's your EC in? What's your EC out? Those are number one and two. And they'll say, I don't know. I say, go get your EC meter, measure it. They measure it. Okay. My feed is 1.4. And then they get their outflow. Guess what? It's 2.9. And, and those, and those they particular variables are, are exactly what make it sometimes more challenging for, you know, if my grandma is going to start growing, I'm definitely not going to tell her to start, you know, synthetics. I'm going to tell her bury a fish head and put a plant on it like that. That's going to work for her. So it's situational, I, I believe. A hundred percent. But I, I will say, like I was mentioning earlier, if you start hydroponics with good information, whether it's Dr. MJ's cocoa for cannabis, which I have seen work hundreds of times for hundreds of growers. Not a single one that I've sent to there has come back to me and said, hey, I'm following that guy and it's still fucking up for me. Like that has been a pretty bulletproof example for me. That's why I keep sending people back to it because it's worked so well. Uh, It's when people come to me that said, I went on XYZ website or I listened to Jorge Cervantes or uh, this YouTube, other YouTube channel. And I'm not saying that we're like the arbiters of truth, but in my experience, I've seen that we have had a lot of people continue to be successful by using certain methods and organics, for example, SIPs have been really successful for a lot of people, myself included. People started, I saw using mulch more in organics, having tons of success versus people that weren't. So like there are certain commonalities that we see across the board. And I think if you know what you're doing in either one, they fucking crush it. Like if you started off in a SIP and you're doing it right, you've got it set up where you can just look down a hole and say, is there water there? No, I need to add water. Is there water there? Yes, I don't need to add water. That takes a lot of the issues of organic growing out of the equation for people but it's hard to make like a small pot sip a medium pot sip and then like your final sip so some people will just go straight into that final sip like uh, build a soil jeremy's doing right now he's got some plants that he just transplanted straight into the earth box they're doing great 
but I'd be curious to see side by side because in my own experiments, my cocoa, I could veg for 14 to 25 days max. And if I flipped it, it would outgrow my space in soil. My veg from seedling is 30 to 45 days, almost every single time. So we've got a couple extra weeks in veg, at least every single time. But I like the quality of the product that I'm getting out of soil a little bit more than I do out of cocoa. But I think that you can get fantastic results from both. So I think that there's really no right answer in the organic versus soil. It's, it does. It's what works best for you. Like a grandma, I'm a young guy and going through and mixing up. I had a nutrient line that had too many bottles. I'll, I know that now looking back, but it's daunting to go through with a fucking little millimeter measurer and fucking eyedroppering or whatever it is, uh, pipettes three mils of this, five mils of that, 15 mils of that. That's the rub. Every time. I, I agree. Yeah, that's the rub. Mixing needs makes you feel like a chemist and not everybody wants to be a chemist and not everybody wants to invest that time. So to get back to Aaron's grandmother, I, I agree, basically. Um, but if we're starting with a, a grower that's interested and you know so many new cannabis growers it's all they want to do with their day what is like spend with their plants and do whatever they can to help their plants and and all of this stuff if you have that sort of um you don't even need that much of the energy but if you have any of that energy and you're willing to sort of you know go through the steps then then i definitely think it, it's it's a good way to go. Um, and, you know, I, I think that most of the pushing back and forth on this is just that there's ways yeah, to do it responsibly and there's ways to do it responsibly either way. Already uh, mute yourself. Like they're looking for the passcode in the chat there. There shouldn't be a <laughs> Somebody was. Okay. I'm just pointing it Saturday out. just got in without using okay. it. So I will cool. say, uh, welcome to Sour Diesel Tangy. I posted the Zoom link, I pinned it, top comment in the YouTube for anybody who wants to join. If you do, I'll screen your name and then I'll have you mute your YouTube so it doesn't echo through. Uh, I just muted Sour Diesel Tangy, but he'll um, be able to unmute himself and introduce himself. And maybe you've got a question, Sour D, or maybe you could just give us an update on your garden since uh, the last time you've been on. Hey, Jack, you hear me okay? That's one, yep. two. Yeah, sorry about that. I came in. I'm like, nobody's jumping out on this link. I go, I'll be the guy. So I hit the button. Everything launched. The next thing I know, it's like, hey, you're rocking through. It's like, yep, noticed that. But uh, I have it on the, I have it on the iPad and this and that and the other thing. But uh, yeah, the garden's going good. I did have a question. I might try to turn on my camera, show you guys a little bit what's going on. It'll be facing you first. So do like the little cover yeah. if you're trying to hide your face, and then flip yeah, it around at the top left. You got it. I don't. I think I already. Uh, I, I think I already blocked it out. So. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Looking good, work, But um, I'll, I'm gonna give you a, a a quick question just while I'm getting this going for the uh, the walkthrough. I'm bumping up to flower next week. I've been creeping up my lights. I'm at about 600 ppf now. Should I keep pumping it up through the week to get to about six seven hundred, or should I just kind of cool it for that first week of um? of flower is this for me i think doc you can take it for anybody but i i I think you you can so you're at 600 in ppfd in late veg and you're about to to flip for flower i'm assuming that 600 is like your maximum reading sour diesel 
because PPF is the total number of light a light puts out. PPFD is like the spot. So he's asking, is it 600 across the whole canopy or is that 600 like the hot spot? Is that the maximum or that might be the average? Uh, no. We might have lost oh, him. He's, he's in the waiting room again. So I'm adding. His oh, oh he's account. in here twice now. He's in Zoom twice. Yeah. Um, I guess my basic message would be you can be higher than that. Okay. Now, is he there? Okay. Yeah, when I turned on my camera, it, uh, it, it disconnected you or kind of every, Yeah, it threw me out. And then uh, I think it brought me back in now. So okay, so is 600 the maximum? No, I can go further. No, is it? But that's the maximum PPFD you have now. It's not the average. Uh, correct. You guys are going to see uh, the garden now? Yep, we can see it. I'll spotlight you. All right, I'm not really sure you guys are seeing because I'm going to turn around the camera if I want to show you anything, but uh, if I want to see myself, it is. But yeah, I'm at about anywhere between 450 and about 550 right now at about 70% with the lights where they're at. Yeah, you can, can be higher lights. than that. Okay, so no, no fear in bumping that up to kind of freak them out because as you can see with my dog shit canopy, as always, I... Uh, I yeah, some of them are a lot higher. This is oh, called growing these. different strains right here. This yeah. is why some people monocrop. I'm, I'm getting rid of the two mothers here of that uh, rainbow diesel. I, I got a bunch of clones of it, but the, these girls are just getting too, too, too tough to take care of, you know, in the small AC infinity. So they got to go. So, I mean, if you look at the internode spacing, this, this thing is just insane. I, I, I hacked this thing today. Packed off probably thirty to forty percent of it, and uh, she she's gonna look at me tomorrow and just just ask for more. She she's a savage. Um, what we got here is we got we got gushers from Canarado and uh, the guy who makes Slurricane. Um, I can't remember who that was. It's either in house and, uh, or the, archive. Yeah, it is in house. It's exactly who it was in house, and then we have. Uh, Big D energy here in the front from Ethos, and we have the uh, punchline from uh, Ethos for the rest of it. So, running new mill. Uh, we just kicked on CO2 this week. Got a shit ton of fans going on. Okay. Yeah, we need to get back to PPFD at some point. If you're running CO2 for sure, yes. um, <laughs> you're way underlit. Crank it. What? Doc and I were just talking about this before the show about CO2 and PPFD. Dude, Doc, please. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, for starters, um, Sour Diesel, do you, are you exhausting from that growth space? Or are you air conditioning? We are air conditioning. So it's a sealed we are, we're re It's sealed, but it's sealed with the wife's room, too, which is running uh, orchids and uh, carnivorous plants. What kind of PPF or what kind of PPM of carbon dioxide are you looking to achieve? Well, if you tell me it's not enough, then more. How are you? Well, it's way too much. Oh, you don't need carbon dioxide supplemental at all at the PPFDs that you're running. You, you could run higher PPFD with ambient levels of carbon dioxide. And yeah, it's not going to benefit you to add carbon dioxide until you have close to twice as much light as you have now. Are you able to go to twice as much light as you have now? Are you Close at 50% or less? I would I say I'm uh, 
Yeah, I'm at about 100% on the three and I have two more lights to add. So yeah, we can definitely get this up and we can drop the lights if we needed to. We could bring well, these way down if necessary. But I mean, I could get moving, it. Trapping the light would be more effective than probably lowering the light. Um, you have other yeah. things in that room that are sucking up photons, like that black tent back in the corner. Um, right. Having that there, it's just a huge light absorption device that is sucking photons out of the room that aren't going to go to the plant. So um, right. putting right a reflective now, cover we, on that. That's where we're at right now. We're at about 700. We're holding 700. When we put the flower, we'll bump that up by 100 every week. Okay. Give so. Sour diesel tangent. I'm not sure you're totally listening to the message that I'm trying to deliver, which is unless you're getting PPFDs up like 11, 12, 1300, you don't need to add any CO2. There's and a Chandra. You really shouldn't. You're not getting any benefit from it. So there's, this, this there's a white paper called but, Yeah, but Chandra I'm, only at, I'm only at like 450 without any. If I'm in here, I'll get about 800. If I'm not in here, we'll drop down to about 460 ambient. 60 PPF, uh, ppm of carbon dioxide. Correct. Yeah, that's fine. That's more than enough for the level of PPFD that you have. What what okay. he hasn't said yet that he said on past shows is there's a Chandra at all study that shows yeah. basically a thousand PPFD and below you can get by with your ambient CO2, which is about 400 it, by simply doubling from 400 to 800 PPM. You're at like 773. You could be running as high as 1500 before the plants start to see major stresses. If uh, other things are dialed in, that's like the peak of the yield right. slash PPFD curve. If you watch it, it goes up and up and up and it slowly flattens out. There's a diminishing returns or whatever. But when yep. you double that CO2 to 800, it is 1500 is your now, like basically your max, you, you said your 650 is your highest point of PPFD. It sounds like your highest point could yeah. technically be 1500 and you'd still be Safe. according to that study within the range if you have yeah what was your ppms I, you know i'd be at 13 or 1400 jack with, with what he's actually got he's showing like 800 or something but yeah, yeah I, I agree with everything jack's saying there and and it should be the ppfd that drives the the carbon dioxide ppm so you add carbon dioxide because you have so much light you need carbon dioxide but unless you have so much light that you need carbon dioxide adding it does not help you mentioned case. something, Doc, uh, or, when we were on the phone, you mentioned that old school growers with the HPSs, we used carbon yeah. dioxide to help with hot spots. And that rung true for me because that's how we used to use it. Yeah. And nowadays with the LEDs, these, these kinds of things don't necessarily exist. So that, that could be part of it. That, that's well, totally true. So if you're say, running a 600 watt HPS in like a, a four by four tent, <laughs> it's not enough light, but there's going to be a hot spot. That's probably, if you have that, you know, plants anywhere close to it, there's going to be a hot spot that's 1200, 1300. Um, even though the edges are going to be like 200 or 300, um, it's not enough light for the whole tent, but yeah, it creates those hot spots, and you adding CO2 keeps that hot spot safe. But LEDs can spread the light a lot better. Um, you get a more even distribution of the light across the canopy. You avoid any place that's over, you know, a thousand or so. And you, you really don't need the, the supplemental carbon dioxide. It's not going to benefit you the same way it would keep that one cola alive, maybe in a, in a HPS grab. Yeah, well, but Doc, let me just say, if it's a truly a sealed room, you might not need elevated CO2 levels, but- You may need CO2, yes. Sealed, yeah, it might need it just because it'll suck, you know, use it all up. So to maintain even a I little higher be. than ambient wouldn't hurt, I would think. And doesn't it, I think it helps the plant operate easier when there's uh, ample CO2. I don't know. 
Yeah, well, there is. If he's at 600 PPF or PPFD and he's got 700 ppm of carbon dioxide, or whatever yeah, that's just funny. Yeah. That's it's ample. I mean, yeah. Well, and you can see the mothers yeah, that right. he just hovered over. They have over a thousand or nine hundred ppf. Well, so, I just and they're doing fine, right? You cranked it. Are they? Let's see them. Everything's doing fine, but I just added these two. This is like uh, these are flower conditions right now. Again, this is the full reset, so we're kind of figuring this out as we go along. <laughs> this is completely set up differently. I mean, we we snapped oh, a, uni a uniformity pro. We snapped this thing in half, split it all apart build these two voids and we're running three L500s in between. Beautiful coverage. Uh, I, I, I didn't want to deal with dropping them and raising them and lowering them and banging right. my head yeah. and dealing with that shit. So, I mean, you can see the the cut marks where I cut the thing in half. I'm sure Kevin loved that. But um, <laughs> Hey, props but for it, creativity, I, man. Yeah, well, I always mentioned that uh, GML, uh, his method is uh, the PP, whatever the parts per million are in the uh, nutrient solution, he matches that with his uh, CO2. So if it's 900 PMM, so put oh, 900 parts per million of CO2. The, I don't believe there's any science behind that, though. The, the, yeah. uh, right, I don't believe understanding science, carbon dioxide, matching your CO2 PPMs with your PPFD is important for photosynthesis, but monkeying around with the ppm of your nutrient solution doesn't actually provide bigger doses or smaller doses usually it, it affects uptake it affects the how much water the plant's uptaking more than it sort of changes the dose that the plant gets of the nutrients in a lot of cases so um that that seems more like and yeah i'm not sure if he personal think, practice yeah, i think he's messing with his light um intensity because i know he took he took out like one row in between all the rows he took out one in between every one uh so yeah but i just wanted to say that but like it's kind of like what you were saying if with the light though if it's uh if you have a thousand uh ppf or whatever ppfds you could go like 900 co2 with that and it could use it then right once well, you do a thousand, you're doing pretty well with just the ambient levels of carbon dioxide. As you start to push at that, like, like you're sort of saying, making providing a little bit might make it a little bit easier, but that's pretty marginal. It's once you move past a thousand PPFD in an indoor grow that you really start to benefit from carbon dioxide, um, from elevating the levels of carbon dioxide. Also, I'm curious, yeah. you had mentioned something about carnivorous plants. Do you have those? I know that their soil requirements uh, are very different. They're, they're in the other room, and we have uh, two very dissimilar, uh, let's see, IG accounts, per se. So we don't show off her room too too often, just for the, uh, the fact that uh, we're not going to contaminate her users with me. It's more family-friendly over there, it seems. <laughs> yeah, huh. I, I, I'm her uh, integrated pest management, you could say. There you go. She's trying to keep, I'm, I'm the pest she's trying to keep out. But um. <laughs> Hey, Jack, could you take me off spotlight for a second? I just got to mess around my camera for one second. I just removed the spotlight. I'm going to put it back to gallery view now. You got it. Thanks, man. We have a question from Bear Eater, and Brandon's back now, and I think this would be a good one for you because you're the guy I know who's messed around with top dress more than anybody else that I personally talk to about gardening. Um, so Bear Eater Bull says, how do you top dress with a cover crop? Which I don't know if it's technically a top dress, but that's how they ask it. So that's how I'm. Put it on. 
mixing in the top of the soil. So you can typically top dress if you can keep your soil, uh, this top couple inches of soil pretty moist. Um, you can just put it right on top and it'll usually germinate and just start growing as long as the underneath of that seed stays moist, it'll go. Um, but typically like if we're doing crop covers in um, like where we're at the farm, what we'll do is we'll establish all of our veg plants first, and then we'll put in the cover crop and we'll usually just mix it into the top layer of soil. We'll just toss it in there and then water, make sure our beds stay, you know, pretty moist for a couple of days. Well, I answered that question in chat. I took it the whole different direction. I thought he was asking, how do you top dress when you have a cover crop already growing? And I said, oh, just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, no difference, man. The blades of grass. That's what I was saying. No difference. You throw it in yeah. and water. Just like, just we, as, we, you can abuse the shit out of that crop cover because it's going to get mulched into the system after harvest anyway. When we go back say, through and do our reset, it? yeah, because that reset, because that's the whole reason why we start it after we've already had plants in the beds, right? Because if we do it at, like before that, the shit's all over the place and we have, yeah. we have to dig it. And, you know, it's just so we do it afterwards. It doesn't get all huge and shit because there's a huge plant canopy over there. And then you just have a, a layer that when you after you're done harvesting when you go to reamend your soil because that's what i do i reamend my soil at the beginning of every run to make sure that i'm all loaded up um you just amend everything right on top of it and then then fucking mix it all in get your little rake and you know we that's what we do we just rake this couple of top inches of our bed rake all the amendments in and then we plant yeah, I agree with everything Brandon said. Just beat the shit out of that top dress. I mean, the the crop cover. Yeah. Chop and the, drop is what the, I've seen most often. In the top yep. dress, too, what, what I do is I look at what needs to be mixed per yard of soil, and I look at, okay, I have 22 yards of soil in each bed. I multiply it by 22, and I build enough of that top dress to cover that whole entire bed. So I go in there with my wheelbarrow, and I start you know, lacing up every section of soil, every bed with uh, the top dress amendment that has soil. And then I just go through there with a the little rake, rake it all in, you know, we do our little ozone generator in there after reset and we clean everything and all that stuff, you know, and then we plant. That was very well answered. We have a uh, cheddar Bob from the chat just jumped in. His lights are on. Uh, he's growing in one of my favorite cultivars over there in Maine cherry pie i don't know if that's what's going to be in this tent but uh i know he's got some of it going outdoors cheers cheddar bob why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners i think this might be your first time on the show yeah it's my first time on here very intimidated being with such large names in the the grow industry uh spartan how's it going mj brandon jack chat i'm cheddar bob 13 uh same name tag welcome, cheddar bob hey it's tau i forgot yeah, welcome I cheddar bob I can never see your face. And Aaron, you, you too. Hello. See you, Cheddar Bob. You're an artist. <clears throat> what up? What up? Um, but yeah, that's. Uh, I'm just a little home grower. I grow in two tents, a uh, four by four and a five by five. Four by four living soil beds, and uh, everything's about four years old. You know, I've run the same soil for about four years. So 
Cheddar what's Bob's your, like long time listener, first time caller. What, what stream yeah, do you got much. going on behind you? What lights are we looking at? And how big is that uh, soil bed? Is this the four by four? All right. So the one right here behind me, uh, this is a four by four bed. So roughly about 170 gallons of soil in a five by five tent. The light is a Ion 720. Uh, Dr. MJ, are you familiar with them? Have you tested them? I have not tested Ion lights, no. Uh, so I guess the Ion, my cousin runs a Generation Grow. And apparently Ion is basically the same light as the uh, Grower's Choice 720, but has different drivers, is, is what I was is what I'm told. So that definitely sounds a, plausible. Yeah, it was a in the pinch uh, light. My my fluence driver shit the bed, so I needed something quickly, and uh, yeah, so I picked that up. But it fits really well in the five by five. It seems to be doing exceptionally well for for what it is. So, so uh, but yeah, are the drivers just about the light? Sorry, are the drivers integrated into the edge of the frame? No, they are in a bar, like a bar casing down the middle, like in like a fluence. Um, okay. Does it like fold? A that's a different design. Okay. Yeah, it does fold. So is it's, that it's a, where the fold is, is where the drivers are kind of in that middle seam and then yeah. it folds out and from so, there. Yeah. So your right. driver's up here and then the lights fold down underneath it. Okay. Is that a metal scrog yeah. that you just have, uh, you know, elevated above it that you drop down when it's necessary? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that is Great. grid wire, grid wire panel. Uh, so you can find that on Uline or stuff. It's like what they hang clothes on the walls and stuff like that with, right, right. uh, the squares are three inches instead of like the big six inch squares from the cloth trellises and stuff or the, the, the plastic ones. You can get so different sizes I, in those just as a, a FYI for anybody who's listening. Cause I, I've gotten like three and a half inch, four inch, five inch trellises. There's a whole bunch of different. Yeah. How do you yeah, like cool. them when it comes harvest time? Um, I, I don't mind it at all because I, I branch harvest. So yeah. it's, it's not hard. It's not hard for me, um, but I will show you. So like here, Ooh. Uh, but you get them growing up to two of them, right? You already have uh, one no, and you'll have another one. Nope, I have I have one bottom trellis. Uh, so my bottom trellis, such as the one behind me, and this one here, uh, I, I'm a lobsterman. So we make our own lobster traps. And so this is lobster trap wire. And this is a, a rubber-coated inch-and-a-half square wiring. Okay. Um, That's so a with tight my, little box you got, man. The, the canopy is really tight. Can you yeah, show, yeah, show yeah, that no. again? Let's Can I see back the canopy right, again? One more time. Which, uh, You're beautiful, but I want to see your plants. Okay. To the one we just saw. The, the... And to your left. I think he's uh, uh, switching the camera. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's tight. That looks good. Ooh I thought it's looking nice. All right. So, so this one here is a cherry pie. And then this is a nine pound hammer. Uh, but yeah, these are one and a half inch squares. So that really allows me to get that nice horizontal growth Bonsai without trees. having to wait very without having to wait very long uh for things to grow up to bend underneath uh yep. those otherwise like six inch squares you know or five inch squares or whatever uh so i i have constant horizontal growth and you know i can just come in here and you know 
pull a whole limb down and 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 tuck it under. So yeah. it's 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 pretty easy. Works out really well. Uh, blue of a green tank actually asked me about that years ago, and I was like, oh shit, that's a great idea. So we've we've been rocking that ever since. Um, but yeah, so. Let's see, in that tent, I had the uh, cherry pie and the nine pound hammer. This is four uh, plants of the cherry pie as well. So I'm, I'm on a little cherry pie kick. It's, uh, it's really fucking nice. I don't blame Are you. you I'm curious if your plant count limited or what is the thing that got you to yes. want to do the scrog like that? I am plant count limited, yes. Okay. Um, gotcha. Technically. So... Um, <laughs> But yeah. I'm, I'm also space limited, you uh-huh. know, um, and so I can't, it just, it makes more sense for me economically to grow in this style rather than switching out dirt from containers or buying nutrients and stuff like that. Um, I do run another grow where I do like a SOG method in gallon containers in okay. a four by four. And I usually have like 36 plants going in that four by four. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as far as my personal grow, you know, my family's here and stuff. I, it's just not worth doing that. So I do what no, I there's just a our- different. It, it's a good scrog. And I really don't see a whole lot of like real scrogs. What you're doing is really a, a scrog, pulling the plant down like that, training it low, getting it to, yeah. to grow out vertically or horizontally. With really few plants, you got two in that four by four ten, right? Yes, uh, two in the four by four and four in the the five by five ten. Yeah, but, you know. No, so I'm just always um, curious about what what gets people to grow like that. It's usually a plant count issue, but um, yeah. And so I've been growing for whatever. I'm going on 20 years now, and uh, you know, when I first started growing, I was like, oh, I want to grow those big, huge, fat flowers, and through the years. I've, I personally have come to really enjoy those smaller condensed colas rather than the, the really, the really like superstar ones that you have to cut into individual things. I like the, the uniformity of the scrog. Um, it's just, you know, there's less stem, more yep. flower weight. It's, and there's uh, more outside. I, I totally follow you there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good way to do it. But like you're saying, like doing a, a, a sea of green could get similar results you're doing other things anyway oh, we're absolutely. all impressed by the plants i think your plants yeah. are awesome yeah my sea of green up there rocks i you know i'm getting uh over over an ounce of plant and i i have basically like six plant rows that i harvest every 10 or 12 days so i'm Do you scrog the, the 36 plants in the four by four no those are those, those are yeah okay yep. Yeah, those are just uh, you know the bamboo stakes, the, the eye poker stakes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah so this is probably a good those. moment for the the listening audience. Scrog and sog are about as opposite grow styles as you can possibly get to. One is like very few gigantic horizontally grown plants under a net, and the other is like a ton of tiny little plants that you flower really soon. So, yeah. And People then the end result get is them mixed they look, up, but they're very different. Yeah, and then the end result is they look almost identical. Like if you're looking at them from above, there's like it's like you can't yeah. even tell. Exactly. So with my, uh, what was I going to say? With the uh, with the sea of green, I run 
like a aero cloner. And when it's too hot for the aero cloner, I'll use Oasis cubes. And once they, once they spring maybe roots that are like four inches, five inches long, um, I'll throw them right into the gallon bags without any veg time and throw them right into flour. I'm uh, curious from your four by four. What is that? Sorry. It's how I ask the screen is. Uh, which, which one? For the uh, the 36 and the four by four, because if you're flipping them right away, they must be a pretty healthy grower. Yeah, so I'm using a peanut butter breath crossed with um, FPOG. Uh, and that was by a gentleman who uh, passed away last, I want to say last spring, named Brian Jolbert. Some of you may know him from Facebook groups and such. But he was uh, just a, a, a small-time breeder, and he, he, he had uh, epilepsy, and he died, uh, I believe, from an epileptic seizure. Mm. Um, but I was fortunate enough to get a few of his cultivars before. And I'll tell you, I had to... I had to kind of pheno hunt through what I had, but the one I found is certainly a keeper. It, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm getting an, an ounce. So off each one and you're putting into uh, flour straight away. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's really great. And it doesn't actually grow well when you top it. Um, it doesn't like to be branched out a whole bunch. So, you know, that's another thing when you're doing, uh, sea of green versus screen of green to be aware of as well. You know, you got to kind of know your cultivar. If you have some uh, hazish that's going to stretch, you know, abnormally in a tent, you, you got to kind of prepare for that when you're running your scrog, vice, right. vice versa, also in the sog. So, like Coot hates the, uh, the fact that people top because he grows the one. I think it's like a, a tie cross to some Afghani or something or Northern Lights, but. Coot. He doesn't Coop hates lots of things. Yeah, no, no Afghani. He hates Afghani too. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but we all I mean, it, right? yeah, you know, brilliant, brilliant people usually hate lots of things because they find idiocracy and stupidity in, in lots of things. So it's well said, you know, it's, well it's, it's hard to be a genius. I have a question for you um, as far as veg time goes, because yeah. we see this beautiful scrog behind you. And then yep. you were talking about the SOG, which we haven't seen, but I assume uh, is relatively equally filled out or if not even more filled out in the four by four. And I'm curious, like what type of uh, veg time does it take you to fill in a four by four using a SOG screen of green uh, with a bunch of small plants compared to a few plants in that large bed? Because I've noticed when I grow fewer plants, if I have a large bed, they actually tend to grow, they veg a little bit quicker than they do when I grow them in small pots, which might be obvious, but seems like they have more uh, space for the roots and they can veg a little bit quicker, but with so many more plants, it's kind of a, a toss up. I'm curious which one ends up actually being faster. I am too stoned to, to follow that multifaceted question. So basically let's start, what, let's what start veg is with faster? The first part. What veg is faster? Um, the, the so, bed with I mean, a few what, plants or a bunch of small plants? Well, the, I mean, for me, the bunch of small plants, because I don't do any veg, you know, I, I just, I just throw them right from root in the aero cloner right into flower. So uh, with the with the scrog in these tents, you know, um, this one behind me, I let's see, it was about mid beginning of August, end of July. So they had about four or five weeks of uh, of veg time in the one behind me, but that's four plants. And then this one here, um, I'm giving 
until October 13th, which will be eight weeks. Very good. Okay. I, I figured that so, would be the case. I mean, I mean what, uh, speed wise, uh, you've got know, about the, a six the, extra weeks because it takes roughly about two weeks to root a clone, I would say. And, and unless you're counting that for both, I mean, you have to root the clone either way to go into a bed yeah. or into a bunch of pots. Yeah. Yes. It, it works. I mean, so I, I'm not criticizing either way. I just am curious. Oh, no, I, out there that are I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if I answered your question or not. No, you did for sure. It, okay. It's, it's okay, faster cool. for you to go in the screen of green. Like most people would have assumed. I just wanted to confirm. Sometimes I'll ask questions that I either think I know the answer to or have an idea because there's a lot of new listeners that do come in each week to the show that are brand new growers or inexperienced growers who haven't even maybe seen a proper scrog. Uh, Chef OMJ properly comments in the chat that a lot of people say scrog the second they throw up a trellis and a lot right. of people maybe aren't necessarily here, here. doing a proper scrog like what yours is more you're actually flattening it out and filling out all the space as much as you can yeah and uh, you know with um i i could fit 16 plants in back here and not not run them scrog you know just top them once and, and let them grow which is kind of what I did up at the other place. I also have a living soil tent. And if you check out my IG at CheddarBob13, you, you can follow the, that grow as well as this one. But uh, I have six plants in a four by four. And that was about, I don't know, two and a half to three and a half weeks of veg. Um, and they weren't necessarily scrogged, but they were more, uh, I would say more listed than, than scrogged. I see that you also have an earth box outdoors. I tried to do three plants in my earth box first and then realized the middle plant literally died because the two outside plants grew over it and it blocked out all the light that it would get and didn't get it any airflow. So I found two oh. and an earth box works well, but I see that you have one in each earth box and your plants are looking fantastic. I know a lot of people do just one per box, but uh, is that yeah. your grow as well? I, that's what, yes, that's my, my personal grow as well. And uh, I am super impressed with these earth boxes. So I started, those are cherry pie as well outdoors, um, which I've heard are, are susceptible to, to PM and, and, and bug rot. But I've, I've had very minimal of that here in, in coastal Maine. And it's very prevalent. So it's, you know, it happens a lot. But I, I've been pretty lucky. And I, I attest that to just the healthiness of the soil um, and the amendments that were provided by the build a soil package as well as the, the coast of Maine. But um, yeah, they are thriving. They're, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna chop them next week. That'll, that'll take me to eight weeks. And uh, man, the, the root growth in those is phenomenal. The one thing I, I would say, if I could do again, I would probably put them in a little bit later outdoors. I think they may have gotten a little large, but besides that, yeah, they're, they're in great shape. I know that problem. Do you like the SIP style versus just the living soil bed or um, is it any so, like big change? Well, here's the thing on, I run um, blue mats. So my watering really is the is not necessarily a factor I, I got it i was one of the lucky ones that got it figured out uh on my first try you know sometimes people it takes a while to get them dialed in 
and uh, they, they run through a lot of problems and they get very frustrated with, with the system. But once you get it dialed in, my watering is, is, I don't even pay attention to it. I make sure those five gallon buckets are at least half full uh, at all times, which takes roughly, I don't know, about two days to get, to go through about two and a half gallons. And uh, yeah, uh, I run the blue soak hose. So I have that consistent moisture all, all around. Um, I water in with the Chapin sprayer, some like build a bloom or some silica or uh, what have I been using lately? Like the saponins, this stuff that I can't pronounce. Keia, Keia powder. Been using that in yucca and I just uh, found a horse chestnut tree, which I was asking about earlier. So the people horse chestnuts, are they similar to a regular chestnut? I mean, they got a hard outer shell. Yep, they they got that really hard shell They're in that spiny sort of ball. Uh, yeah. But these ones, I guess horse, the type of horse chestnut that these are, are poisonous. Like you, you're not, you, you're not supposed to consume them. Um, not water chestnuts. They are not water chestnuts. No, they are horse chestnuts from a big tree. Yeah, you'd probably want to at least crack them then and then soak them. Yeah. Yeah, I think okay. regular yeah, chestnuts I was... are castanea and horse chestnuts <laughs> are uh, a skelis or something like that. Okay. That's <clears throat> for whatever that's worth. That's yes, a, you know what the toxin is? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know what the toxin is. Um, you know, my 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 overall plant knowledge and stuff like that is is very non-existent Specific i don't know i just said words the real plant knowledge yeah. is knowing how to work with them yeah you know and that's i'm i'm not a scientist i you know like i said i'm a lobsterman um i i i didn't do well in school i didn't study you know yeah, i work superhero we see the get up yeah well i mean that's that's my <laughs> side gig town come on um but for some reason, I have a feeling with this particular plant. I, I, can, I can feel the plant, if that makes any sense. I can feel the soil, feel what it needs, feel I just have a connection with it. I don't have a science, I don't have a scientific base. I don't I don't know all the large words and the connections like Matt does or you know Dr. Dr. Coco. Like that's not my style of growing. Um, but I, I do I really enjoy having the the physical and mental connection enough with the plant to understand what's going on with it and understand the systems uh, that it thrives in. So twenty yeah, years ago, that definitely helps. That's empathetic gardening. I mean, that we all try to do that to some extent, but I think that that's a, that's really what people mean when they talk about like having a green thumb or not. It's not do you know the the scientific jargon? It's can you empathize with plants? Um, and some yeah. people have that more than others, for sure. You yep. can pick up on things. And I think there's a there's an intuitive um, quality that some people yeah, like. Spartan like said, talks to his plants about how their roots feel and how they're feeling with their roots like that. I mean, that's that's empathetic gardening, you know? We talk about Absolutely. all this stuff. I normally just tell them how pretty they are most of the time. I whisper sweet nothings in their hair. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, gonna to hijack this and, uh, and skedaddle out here because I got to pee so bad. <laughs> I was about to pass it to you. It's time for uh, Spartan to hit the old dusty road and head over to Michigan Bros Grow Show. So uh, final thoughts and shout outs. I just, I just want to say uh, Growers loved everybody. Um, I love hanging with you guys. I love talking chat. It was awesome today. I would love to do this every episode to bring people up. That's my favorite thing, working with people. I mean, I don't like pat my own background or what all that goes, but usually every day when I get home from work, I generally spend at least an hour to two hours of my day just answering questions, but I fucking love that shit. So to be able to actually see and interact, you can get through so much, so much faster. It's, I love that. So, uh, awesome. You guys that came on awesome to see you, uh, cheddar Bob and, and have you on the show for the first time. Hopefully you'll be back. And, uh, chat you know as always you guys fucking that you're my heart that's where i came from so i'm always looking at chat um i'll see everybody uh in what 15 minutes at the michigan girls grow show uh right here on youtube Catch Later, you guys. Dude. Out, Spartan. You guys. thanks as always Spartan. 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 great having you as always i'm gonna right, I almost i almost forgot i just want to say one more thing fuck the mcma all right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's his proper sign off fuck the mcma indeed uh fuck any corporate cannabis who's trying to take away rights from small caregivers and home growers happening um, in oklahoma all... too and that's why i was putting up that stuff about michigan because you can take an example of stuff that's happening it's happening everywhere wherever there's going to be a developing market if it was opened up for the people then some fucking bunch of shitheads are all going to work together to fucking try to Take, take it away. you know a share of the market because they don't have a good enough product that uh that where they can be a profitable company look at they these companies come in thinking they're going to make millions of dollars off cannabis they end up hemorrhaging money because they're not the ones physically doing the work themselves if you're not an owner operator that's busting ass putting in the fucking work you're probably not going to be successful because the bottom line comes to it there's a lot of fucking people growing weed now and it's not like the good old days when you could get almost five grand a pound those days are gone and those days aren't coming back and these people think that they can get what we used to have without taking any of the risks that we also had to take well even if they were totally competent growers though strategically if you're one of those you know realist type people who have absolutely no scruples about anything at all um then it's no problem it all totally makes sense to like do use leverage as many advantages as you can judiciously legislatively you know uh, politically i mean it makes sense i just the whole thing is that it's not great it's gonna be a a terrible there's gonna be a pushback because there's a huge community um you know behind small and it sets a precedent if it happens if it falls in one place then it can fall easier in another place that's why i'm passionate about similar sorts of um legislation there's a supply demand thing right now that a lot of people I don't think are able to address both legislators and growers, whatever, at what level um, there is a lot of, you know, there is demand. The demand is high, but there's more and more people coming online, creating a much, much, much greater supply. So that $5,000 pound that Brandon was talking about back in the days when it was 50 red States and every single place you were growing could land you in jail for years and years and years that was baked into the price. That's not baked into the price anymore. There are corporate companies growing acres and acres and acres under greenhouses, outdoor, indoor, everywhere. You're going to be able to get a certain quality, not the best, best, best stuff of cannabis at at very, very low dollar 
amounts. But a lot of people, unfortunately, drink Bud Light or Natty Light or whatever the cheapest thing is available. And I smoked Mexican weed when I was a kid because I couldn't afford it. And even when I would get some mids, I was like, oh, yeah, this is better than Mexi. So it's like, you know, you perspective. You know, it's it's there's a lot of cost uh, conscious consumers is the, is the thing. And that's why the fucking mids game is so fucking strong is because if you can produce a huge amount and lower that price and people are like, oh, well, hey, it's still it still looks good. You know, it's 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 that Passable. mentality. It's yeah. You know, it's funny. I think a lot of that stuff for old you know, old heads or people that have been consuming cannabis before the legal markets, they got used to a certain quality. And so like, uh, I watched trailer park boys jail the other day and Ricky is a weed grower and he's in jail and he gets out (laughs) and he's like, man, I can't even get high on this shitty government dope talking about Canada. Like how all these LPs are growing really shitty weed. And like, as a home grower, he's used to a certain quality. And I've actually kind of felt a little bit of that in California's market. Granted, there are better companies now like, uh, wonder Brett, seven, 10 labs, uh, there's a few good people growing flour in the legal market, but most of it's either coming out of the you know uh, traditional market or home grows. So it's hard for me to find something like, and this, this isn't tooting my own horn, but like every single grow at this point that I grow something, I'm pretty satisfied with it. Like I, I would smoke it twice at least, but seven or eight out of 10 times when I get something from the legal market, I would try it once and it's so bad. I wouldn't even try it again twice for free. So um, there's a lot of growth that needs to still be happening in the legal market until um, the traditional market, I guess, gets squeezed out. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I saw a crack. I still CWC jumped in, but he um, dropped. I out. still have some some like bags of dispensary cannabis that I I smoked one flower out of, and I was, I was like, ugh, gross. Oh, I'm here, you know, Jack. and okay, and I think are. that's the I think that's the thing that comes with dispensary cannabis. Let's, uh, I'll be like 90, I'll throw it out 93% of dispensary cannabis is that they're growing at such a high volume that their quality obviously lacks. You get, I think it's near impossible to balance that and survive in that industry. I want to give Crack Babies DWC a chance to introduce themselves for the first time ever on the panel. And we've got about 10 minutes left. So if you have any questions or want to give us an update on your garden uh, before we do our final thoughts and shout outs. I actually got to go because my ride is here. So no worries, Brandon. Thank you for joining us. See you guys all next time. Have a good one, Brandon. At Bokashi Earthworks or Rust.Brandon on Instagram. Check them out. And BokashiEarthworks.com for all. Have a great one, Brandon. Yeah, later, man. All righty, crack babies. Uh, Let the people know where they can find you. And uh, do you have any questions or maybe want to give us an update on your garden? Hey, yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. It's so so cool to be on the panel. Yeah, I'm I'm basically from uh, Coco for Cannabis. Uh, I can learn everything I know from Doc, basically save my first grow. And uh, ever since then, uh, I've been there and growing on my 10th grow now, growing Amy Aces there from TAO, which is uh, really doing great. It's, that's what you see there on the little, uh, where you see the Gobi. There. It's, it's right in front of the Gobi, actually. So, uh, yeah, fun. Excellent. Cool stuff. Mine is growing love, my crack filter. babies. I grow love, Doc. Glad to be on the panel with you. It's an honor. It's it's really cool to actually hear your voice because I've actually seen you in chat for months or maybe years at this point. Like one of the first comments in every single live. So when you pop up, it's like I don't feel nervous at all to allow you to come into the.
live stream. I, I'm growing Amy Aces right now, and it's going to be harvested here any week now. And it is stinking through my carbon filter so strong. It is a oh, lovely, nice. lovely plant. It's uh, looking to be a pretty heavy yielder. Mine foxtailed, but that's on my own fault. Uh, it definitely got a little bit hotter than I ideally have it. A 78 to 82. Got like more 82 to like 85. And my PPFD at the max was 2000. But uh, I adjusted it. So now it's like 1300 at the high, like 900 to 1300. And that's more okay because I have so much fucking CO2 in my grow environment. <laughs> I had the opposite problem of the guy earlier who was like, I have a, uh, it was a uh, sour diesel tangy. He had a bunch of CO2, but not a bunch of light hitting his canopy. And we're like, you could crank that up. I've got a bunch of CO2, but only so much light. So got to crank it sometimes. Yeah. I stay within uh, the norm, I guess. I was pushing it a lot at first at a thousand PPFD, but man, the plants really suffered too. <laughs> so now I'm around 800, 850 there. And they seem to like that a lot. Listen to the plants, man. I, I, even if there's a Chandra at all study that says 1500, like Doc said, 1300, 1200 might be better if you have 800 ppm CO2. And I listen to the plants and give them what they are happiest at and try and make the best run possible each run. Because uh, with different genetics and different environments, you never really know. So yeah, and it's a, like how close to the edge do you really want to get? And when you run right up against sort of the limits like that, if you're at 1500, you you better keep everything else dialed in really tight ranges um, or you're going to hit problems. Um, something will limit the plant and you will end up with the same sort of light toxicity issues that you would have without having enough carbon dioxide. Um, carbon dioxide is just usually the next limiting factor. Um, but you know, if you give enough carbon dioxide, enough light, you'll run into other limiting factors and you definitely are just putting more pressure on yourself. Yeah. And there's a Bruce Bugby did a great presentation on how to grow cannabis for maximum yields. He has like a beakers that are filled with like little marbles. And like, he's like this, how many marbles of oxygen there are in the air. And it's like a pretty big thing. And then he shows the amount of CO2 in the air as like similar parts per million. Um, and it, just kind of displays that CO2 is actually one of the most limited parts of our atmosphere. And so increasing it can actually have a big, make a big deal, especially in like a sealed space, like Tao mentioned earlier, they could be taking up all of it and getting below ambient, which is a problem. Or if you are pushing high light, light levels or even higher heat, uh, a bit higher level can be beneficial, but it's not the end all be all gonna save your garden type thing. With that said, we've got about five minutes left and a good amount of people on the panel. So I will pass it first to our special guest this evening, uh, Cheddar Bob 13 uh, first. That's me. Uh, hey, thanks a lot for, for allowing me to come on, uh, Jack. Um, I watch you often, and uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. You guys can all find me on IG, Cannabuzz, um, at Cheddarbub13. And that's Cheddar, C-H-E-T-T-E-R, not like Cheddar, like the cheese. It's Cheddar right. uh, not, 13. Not like Wisconsin, more like Columbia. There you go. And next up, our other uh, guest, although it was short, it was very sweet, Crack Babies. Uh, let the people know where they can find you. Final thoughts and shout out. Yeah, I'm uh, Crack Babies at uh, Coco for Cannabis. Uh, member there. So all my journals are there. Every grow is there from uh, grow number three, I believe, or number four. And uh, on IG, well, it's Crack Babies DWC. So I'm a DWC guy, obviously. So uh, yeah, really cool to, to let me on like that, Jack. That was very cool. And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys again soon. Uh, big shout out to Coco for Cannabis and everybody in chat there at the live chat room. Uh, big friends with everyone there. And uh, everybody here, man. Uh, I've been a follower for a little while there and I will be for every week. That's guaranteed. So uh, have a great night, guys.
we appreciate that and we appreciate your time coming on even though it was short at the end uh it was very cool to get to know you i think the guy who originally started this show did such a great job of reaching out to the community and pulling people big small and in between uh pages and growers experience levels everything he just kind of brought them up exposed them to the community and gave them a, a voice and i really love that spirit and uh, i'm happy to be able to let it live on in a way by doing this and uh, speaking of cocoa for cannabis i'm gonna pass it to dr mj for his final thoughts and shout out yeah, yeah, grower love crack babies, grower love cheddar bob, um, sour diesel tangy was on, and that was a fun conversation too. Really great show. I enjoy bringing on the the guests onto the show. I enjoy all the rest of our conversations. Uh, I love that um, we were asking for questions. Somebody asked us a question about testers, and we went off for like forty five minutes about what we would do as testing and different things, and we covered a lot of really interesting stuff in that too. So. Fun show. Thanks, Jack. Thanks to the rest of the panel. Um, check out, as a bunch of people have said, thank you to everybody who shouted out Cocoa for Cannabis. Um, that's where you can find me and on my YouTube channel. I'm going to, uh, I might, I might drop, I've been getting already. I'm going to film my germination and all this stuff for a series of videos I want to do. So that's going to happen either tonight or maybe tomorrow morning. Um, and I'm going to start doing that. So look for that. And um, I'll be back again next week. Grower love to everyone. Thank you again for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you. And next up, our resident IPM specialist, Matthew Gates. Yeah, I want to echo that uh, we did have a really cool and lively conversation about a bunch of different um, facets. Not as much IPM this chat, but I think that's in balance because I mean, we honestly, I feel like we talk more about IPM than I expect us to do a lot of the time. So I was really happy to have us talk about other things as well. Um, if you want to get some help with pests or plant health or anything related to that, you can check me out in three places. The first place is on YouTube. My YouTube channel is Zenthanol. Zenthanol Consulting is the, is the consulting group that I founded. And that is the YouTube channel that I associate most of my content with. You can also find me on Instagram at SyncAngel and on Twitter at SyncAngel. Thank you, as always, for joining us. And if you feel so inclined, people out there, uh, Matthew also has a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Zenthanol. I include that in the link below in the show notes. Starting at just $1 a month, you can get access to his private Discord where he answers your specific IPM questions. Like Spartan mentioned earlier, he's taking two hours out of every day to go and answer questions. I don't know how many people that is, but at times it's been hundreds a week or like over 10 a day for me. And I know Multiple that dozens are... for me every couple of days, just to put that out there. Yeah. And so for perspective, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of people reaching out to us. So even just like a dollar a month for the Patreon, uh, we'll get you more exclusive access to Matthew if you want that immediate feedback more so, and just a ton of knowledge and a great YouTube channel over there. Not to drone on and on too much about it, but a great guy and awesome member of this panel. Didn't get to speak as much this week. So I want to drive home those points as well. Um, another person who didn't get to speak too much this week, but is always welcome is Noah Vigroa. Thank you so much again for joining us and give us your final thoughts and shout out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, it, the way the conversation was going, I haven't done a lot of seed testing, so I was just kind of sitting back, but uh, yeah, I had a great time listening. I always learn a lot from you guys. And uh, if anybody wants to check out what I got going on, I'm Noah Vigroa on Instagram and uh, be here next week. We'll be happy to have you back and uh, maybe next week we'll get you more involved in the conversation. But with that said, we got Aaron, the grower. I knew you were going to pick me right when I spilled my alcohol cup of scissors all over the place. Um, oh, I no. am 
<laughs> just yeah, it's a timing thing. I'm uh, Aaron the Grower. I do it all the time, but you know, of course, right when I do my sign off, I'm Aaron the Grower, ATG Acres, uh, ATGacres.com. If you want to check out what I'm doing or want to get yourself a consultation with me, it was really cool to see Sour Diesel Tangy, Crack Babies, and Cheddar Bob. It was a really cool treat and made this this uh, go way too fast. Like it doesn't seem like it was two hours. So, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. See you guys next week. It really did uh, fly by. I, I enjoyed that element of connecting with the chat. It makes it easier for me, at least, to uh, keep track of both. We're getting some spam over there. If uh, one of the other mods can go ahead and block that, I'm going to try and put user in timeout. Hi, yeah, user I got it. I guess when you get popular, you start getting a uh, certain webcam spam. But that's part of the to be expected, I guess, with having a show online. It's not the end of the world. We've had so much other great interaction in the chat that it uh, doesn't even come close to outweighing all the positivity that comes from having a live chat on the show. So with that said, the last and certainly not least member of the panel, I believe, is the American one. Like as always, thanks for your hosting abilities. They're much appreciated. And thanks for everyone on the panel showing up. Of course, a shout out to Sour Diesel, Tangy, Cheddar Bob, and Crack Babies uh, for coming up and sharing with us. And uh, I also want to give a shout out to uh, someone who always shares information with me, medically fit, med fit on, uh, I think he's medically fit on IG. He's always constantly sharing me uh, really good stuff. And I also want to shout out a local guy that I hung out with over this past week. Uh, I don't know if he wants his name out there, but MG, it was, it was good meeting up with you. And I also want to shout out Brandon Rust with his uh, nutrient rich information on the IG right before the show today, he posted a whole bunch of uh, information on nutrients. So you guys should go check that out. And uh, yeah, I think that'll about wrap it up. And uh, peace out, everyone. It was really good chatting it up today. That's how you always give it a great little send off, wrapping up with lots of shout outs. Brandon did share some stuff about like phosphorus, uh, calcium, and potassium are a few of the ones that I saw and like how they're uptaken and the importance to the plants. Always sharing great content over there. Rust Hat Brandon, a great guy, amazing member of this panel, and has great products. I just recommended Bokashi Earthworks, um, his Micro Plus to a few growers. The guy that you met up with um, mentioned to me, he's excited about the amyases as I'm growing it, and that he had a great time meeting you the other day. So it's cool to see us getting to meet some of these people in person. Uh, hopefully we'll actually have like a cheap home grow meetup someday. Uh, my thought is Vegas because cannabis is legal and it's cheap to travel there. So uh, we can hopefully plan for that someday. And uh, it's just been a great week. I enjoyed the time with the chat, having people come on. Uh, I'm at Jack Greenstock on Instagram for anybody who doesn't already know that. Uh, I was a pleasure joining all of you on the panel this week and thank everyone in the live chat for showing up. You can also find me Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter or uh, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. If you would like to help out the show a little bit, you can smash that thumbs up button before we go. Uh, helps out the algorithm and pushes the show to people that maybe haven't heard it yet. And it gets more people in the live chat as well for the next time. So thank you all for coming. Uh, another great week. Jack Greenstock, signing out. Grow a love, everyone. Grow a love.